You're listening to audio from the Church of Christ in Albany, Western Australia. If you'd like to know more about our church community, please head to coca.org.au. We trust that this week's sermon will be a blessing to you. We are at war. Now, I'm not speaking into any particular social uh, or political event or unrest that's happening at the moment, uh, though we're all aware and know that there's plenty going on around us with all the unease and tension and and literal wars at the moment. No, we are involved in an age-old war that has been waged since the Garden of Eden. Like something out of a fantasy paperback, uh, the battle between good and evil rages on today and takes place all around us. And it's a battle that we, as followers of Christ, are called to take part in so that we may combat the powers of evil here on earth. Yes, today uh, we're going to look into spiritual warfare together. Uh, But please, uh, allow me to make this disclaimer uh, before we begin. Uh, This is indeed, uh, as I've written, a uh, primer on spiritual warfare. Uh, By no means is this an exhaustive look into the topic. Uh, It is, though, my hope and desire that as we look into Scripture together, that uh, ironically, perhaps, uh, it will help us to demystify this topic, uh, so to speak, uh, that we may feel more equipped and ready to take up arms and to fight against the forces of darkness in the world around us. Uh, to do so today, we're going to uh, dive into God's Word and take a look at a fairly familiar passage to most, I'm sure, uh, but one that is, like all of Scripture, as valid today as it was the day that it was written. I'm sure that most of you who are more uh, seasoned Christians are familiar with the concept and the topics that we're going to be looking at today. Uh, But I hope that as we readdress something that you've no doubt heard or read many times over, you may be encouraged to take up arms and continue to fight the good fight. And today we'll be looking at a few different key ideas regarding spiritual warfare. We'll look into who we are fighting alongside and also against. We'll look into our equipment and we'll look into how we fight this war and how it is that we will win this war. So to begin, we need to understand who it is that we are fighting for and also who we are fighting against. When me and uh, my siblings were younger, we used to always uh, watch movies and shows and and play games together and we'd try and identify uh, early on who the the goodies and who the baddies were. Uh, Most of the time it was fairly simple. Uh, The goodies tended to be the the ones that looked friendly or nice, what have you, and the the baddies tended to be the ones that dressed in all black and looked a bit scary and nasty and everything. Um, A bit like me, I suppose. Uh, but sometimes there'd be a movie that left a little bit more ambiguous. Uh, we'd have to ask Dad all throughout, uh, you know, Dad, is he, is he a goodie or a baddie? Uh, Dad, who are the good guys again? Um, and then, you know, there's, there's twist villains, which kind of make things tricky as well. Uh, you don't know they're the bad guys for like the last five minutes. Uh, but thankfully, in our epic battle that we're looking into today, we have the Word of God to help clarify these things for us. So let us turn to Scripture together. Uh, today we're reading from Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. Uh, right now, we're just going to look at verses 10, 11, and 12. We read, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. These verses detail to us the source of our commission and our strength who we're fighting against, and the ploys that the enemy will use to ambush and attack us. Verse 10 tells us that we are to be strong in the Lord, that we need and ought to find our power and our strength in him and him alone. 
Simply put, if we're to be successful in fighting and keeping the evil at bay, then we will be doing it in his strength, not in our own. The verse uses a passive verb, and it can actually be translated to mean become capable in union with the Lord, highlighting even further that it is not in our strength or anything we can actively summon from within ourselves, but more accurately, that we ought to find our strength in the Lord. That we are only ever capable of standing against the powers of darkness when we are unified with Christ. Reading on in verse 11, we're told to put on the whole armour of God so that we may stand against the devil. This reference to the whole armour is not one to glaze over. We need to be strong in all aspects of the armour in order to be effective in battle. The Greek word here, panoplia, refers to the entirety of the soldier's equipment. This is armour for the body, shields for blocking and weaponry. When we let one area of this armour fall, then we fail to maintain that area of our faith and we are more ineffective in fighting against the enemy. We need to equip ourselves fully with the armour that God provides us and we need to lean on him. Finally, in these first few verses, we're introduced to our adversary, the baddies, so to speak. As we continue on through verse 11, we read that we will need this armour to stand against the schemes of the devil. And as we read further in verse 12, we continue to see that we are fighting not against other people and against physical beings so much, but against greater powers, spiritual and cosmic forces. These verses show us that our enemy is not one that we necessarily physically see manifesting before us, but one that works behind the scenes and in the world to achieve his means and to scheme and deceive. A battle is not against flesh and blood. It is against this physical realm. There aren't demons waiting in old abandoned buildings to get you. The battle is one for our minds. We've seen Ephesians, here especially, but earlier on as well, that the devil's schemes are twofold, to alienate us from God and from one another. Because as we have seen, when we're found in God, we are strong. And when we're unified and together as a body of believers, we're able to lift one another up and help to carry one another's burdens. The devil tries to achieve this uh, in many ways, but Paul highlights just a few uh, in this same letter. We read earlier in Ephesians that the devil seeks to alienate humanity from God by disobedience and by ignorance and corrupted thinking. And he tries to separate people from each other through the alienating sins of falsehood, anger, and related sins. Today, sadly, we see that the tactic of alienating believers from communion together and of alienating us from God is all too easy for our enemy, though. We're all too easily blinded and deceived by this world and the pleasures of it. We're all too often too busy to spend time in his word and in prayer. We focus too much on petty conflicts that fracture and separate the body of believers, and often we don't focus enough on false teaching and doctrinal confusion that leads many well-meaning and deceived believers down paths that steer them away from the real truth. A battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of darkness that overwhelm the world around us and all too easily permeate into our own minds. So how do we fight a battle that takes place in our own heads and hearts? We equip ourselves with the armour that God has supplied to us for this very task. Reading from verses 13 through 17. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God.
So uh, first things first, we see a therefore. Uh, and therefore is a great because when we see that, we know that the author is linking his previous point to his next one. He's making it abundantly clear that that is his desire. He wants us to remember what he was just talking about and to bear that in mind as we move on to his next point. We read, therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand and to stand firm. Essentially, Paul is writing to say, because our enemies are supernatural, because they are spiritual forces, because they assault our minds and thoughts, not our physical bodies, it is because of these reasons that traditional or human armour and defences won't help us. That isn't how we win this battle. Because of all this, we must take up the armour of God if we are to stand a chance against the enemy in this evil day. Evil day, of course, is Paul once again quoting himself from earlier on in this same letter again. In chapter 5, verse 16, Paul refers to this current era already being the evil day. So what we're seeing here is not a long-awaited ultimate and final battle that we're training for, uh, though that day when Christ triumphs over sin once and for all is coming. Uh, But in fact, Paul is speaking to the current era that we're living in, the space between, so to speak, as we await Christ his triumphant return. But as we wait for that day, we're in a time and place where Satan and sin are running amok all over the place, and we need to gird ourselves and to stand firm and to equip ourselves with the armour that God has granted us so that we may withstand the evil one. So to help us better understand how it is that we are to equip ourselves, to better understand the armour and the weaponry that we have available to us, we're going to step into the armory and look at each item in closer detail so that we can better understand and utilise these tools that God has granted us. Our first piece of armour that we come upon is the belt of truth. We see in verse 14, Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth. Now it's not accidental that we see the belt and the breastplate in the same verse here. So the belt that we read of in this verse is likely not a buckled belt that goes above the armour, like you or I would uh, probably immediately think up, but instead a leather apron of sorts that's tied on underneath the armour to secure clothing and to keep the armour fitting snug and comfortable, uh, more or less. This belt keeps everything together. It holds the clothes and body tightly and stops the armour from banging about and loosening on the body. Likewise, the truth should be keeping us tight, in line with God and his word and keeping everything together. Without God's truth, we are left defenceless and with no real protection. We have no support and therefore are unable to stand firm. If we lose the truth of the gospel, if we, get about, if we forget about the eternal truths that are stored within God's word, then we are hugely susceptible to being swayed by Satan. It's technically the oldest trick in the book. Isn't that how Satan tricked humanity back at the fall? You know, did God really say that? Today especially we need to be standing firm in truth. As society continues to walk further and further away from absolute truths, and continues to trade in what ought to be black and white for grayscale. We have a collection of 66 books that highlight absolute truth for us. We need to be confident in them and holding fast to them, instead of listening to the myriad of conflicting voices out there. This brings us to our second piece of armour, the breastplate of righteousness. If the belt helps us to stand firm in truth, then the breastplate has the huge job of protecting our vital organs from the arrows and blows of the enemy. The righteousness that this part of the armour represents is disputed between different scholars and commentators. Some would argue that it's the righteousness that we have in Christ, our standing before God because of Jesus' sacrifice. Yet others argue it's the righteousness that we strive to practice to demonstrate our faith to the world, as we see in James, for example. I think the, the, the truth lies somewhere in the middle, to be honest. 
Uh, When we understand and know that God has granted us righteousness through Christ, then we ought to be inspired and encouraged to continue fighting and repenting every time that we fail. Practicing righteousness helps us better resist the sins that would hinder us from our mission. So the breastplate of righteousness protects both because of and through our righteousness. We're declared right before God and therefore are protected from the enemy and his attacks. And we're also protected in our efforts to strive for holiness. Our godly character helps us to stand firm against the attacks of the enemy. The belt and the breastplate together help us to stand firm for and in truth and righteousness. Without the truth of the gospel and a desire for holiness, we will be ill-prepared to battle the foes that seek to control our minds and desires. Part of this battle, though, is not just about being prepared to stand firm, but also being prepared to go and to fulfil the Great Commission in order to fight back the forces of evil. This, of course, brings us to our our holy footwear, uh, the sandals of peace. Verse 15 reads, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Our footwear needs to be adequate so that we'll be ready to go, to march onwards and to fulfil our orders. For the soldier, the quality of their shoes would directly affect how well they could march into battle. Poor shoes equals poor marching. The sandals represent the gospel of peace, the good news of Jesus Christ, the message with which we are entrusted and called to spread to all corners of the world. We need to know this message of peace and be ready to share and spread it so that we will be equipped and prepared, ready to go forth and to share the gospel. In this way, we will attack and hinder the devil and his schemes. The more the gospel is known and spread is a direct attack against the forces of darkness in this battle for the mind and for the world. It's a deep understanding of the gospel of peace which prepares the church for the battle of which Paul speaks. The Revised English Bible says it well. It says, And let the shoes on your feet be the gospel of peace to give you firm footing. The next part of the armour that we look at is the shield of faith, which we read of in verse 16. It says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The beauty of uh, of metaphorical language, uh, as we see all throughout this passage, uh, is that it speaks directly to the application and the simplicity of the message. The shield here is a beautiful example of this. Most of us will be familiar with uh, shields, you know, see them in in historical books and movies and shows or whatever else. And if if asked what a shield's purpose is, we'd all be able to answer uh, quite quickly, I would assume. Uh, A shield shields, right? Uh, It blocks blows and attacks and protects the user from harm. Many shields of the time were made of wood, and the fiery arrows that were launched toward them were designed to burn and destroy them. Uh, Though Paul is saying that this shield, the shield of faith, can extinguish these arrows. A practice that was undertaken by the Roman forces of the time was to cover the faces of their shields in leather, which was soaked in water before the battle, so that it would be able to extinguish the flaming arrows and protect the shield. The shield of faith is like the soaked leather shields. It protects us from the flaming arrows by extinguishing them and taking away their power. The arrows here represent the devil's attacks against the Christian. The steady reign of temptations that lure us into sin and continue to attempt to sow disunity in the church. The shield represents our faith in God. By trusting in God, by putting our faith in him and lifting up the shield, we are resting in God as he puts himself between the devil and us and keeps the assault of the devil from from destroying those that are his. To take up the shield of faith is to rest in Christ himself, who absorbed the blows of temptation and even demonic attack, finally emerging victorious. 
Turn to him in faith daily is essential for us, as evil forces are too powerful for us to resist on our own. It's our faith in God and in what Christ has done that shields and protects us from the attacks of the enemy. Like the belt of the breastplate, the helmet of salvation doesn't have a whole lot written about it. Uh, But we're able to deduce a few things about uh, this next piece of armour. The helmet is a hugely vital piece of armour as it protects the head. And we know that a blow to the head can quite often be a fatal one. And if not fatal, it could at the very least knock a soldier unconscious uh, and render him unable to continue in the battle. As we've highlighted earlier, the spiritual battlefield is primarily uh, in the mind. Uh, The battle is over our thoughts, which then impacts the effectiveness of the individual and of the church in fighting back Satan's influence in the world. So, the helmet protects first and foremost our head, our mind, from deceit and lies that would stop us from being active and useful Christians in the world. The lies of Satan fill us with self-doubt. We continue to ask ourselves, are we really saved? How could God really love me? By equipping the helmet of salvation, we continue to remind ourselves of our assurance of salvation, of the good news of the gospel, to remind ourselves that we are already seated with him, our salvation is secure. The helmet is our reminder of Philippians 1 verse 6. Uh, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. This finally brings us to our final piece of the armour of God, uh, our only weapon for attack, uh, the sword of the spirit. Here we're given our opportunity to fight back against the enemy. Uh, whilst the sword can be used for parrying and blocking So it's our best utilised for attacking. Uh, The sword that we've been given, we read, is the word of God. Our sword is scripture. Through knowing, understanding, meditating upon and relying on God's word, we are actively involved in fighting back against Satan and doing damage to his will on earth. To strike back with the truth when we're tempted to do evil. To strike back with truth when the church is faced with false teaching. To strike back with truth when the world around us teaches contrary to the gospel. And finally, to strike with the proclamation of the gospel to bring freedom and light to those who do not know our Saviour. We are to remember, of course, though, uh, as we've seen in this exact same passage, that the gospel is a message of peace. uh, And our battle is not against flesh and blood, not against fellow image bearers, but a battle against spiritual powers. We need to remember this, as division in body is exactly what the enemy desires. Every house divided against itself cannot stand. We need to wield our swords, our Bibles, our absolute truths, so that we can fight back sin in our lives, so that we can combat false teachings, and so that we can ultimately deal fatal blows to the enemy, so that only peace and unity remain. John Calvin says, By faith we repel all the attacks of the devil, and by the word of God the enemy himself is slain. If the word of God shall have its efficacy upon us through faith, we shall be more than sufficiently armed, both for opposing the enemy and for putting him to flight. As we study and proclaim the word of God to our friends and our neighbours, the kingdom of Satan falls. Finally, we must do battle. Now, this is a battle that we fight on our knees. I'm reading on from verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Praying at all times and keeping alert. 
This is how we fight. We stand firm in the armour so that we are ready and equipped to pray, to seek God, to know his word and his will. Putting on the whole armour and not praying should be a paradox to us. If we are equipped and ready, then we ought to fight. A theological grasp of the gospel that doesn't drive us to pray is no good in battle. It is as good as a carcass. Likewise, prayer warriors with no real grasp on what the gospel is all about may be spirited and coming from a place of real faith, love and hope, but are no better than a soldier on the battlefield with no weaponry. What Paul is calling us to is a spiritual and deep understanding of the gospel combined with an alert, rich and deep prayer life. And this type of real and rich prayer will be guided by the Holy Spirit and will encourage and guide us to pray outside of ourselves for the greater Christian church and the global progress of the gospel. We cannot expect to make progress for God without a healthy prayer life, constant and proper prayer, prayer that is surrendered to God and his will, which keeps us surrendered to his will also, praying for his will to be done on earth, not our own. Jesus shows us how we ought to pray in Matthew 6, uh, the Lord's Prayer. I'm sure you're all familiar, right? Um, This then is how you should pray. Uh, Feel free to join in. Uh, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We fight this war on our knees, in daily prayer and surrender to God, putting on the entirety of the armour he provides so that we can be equipped and prepared to stand firm against the assaults of the devil upon our minds and our congregations. See, spiritual warfare isn't really about casting out demons and declaring victory over this or that. It's about our assurance of salvation, our striving for holiness, our faith and trust in God and his word. It's all about our sanctification, our pursuit of holiness. So let us put on the armour, equip ourselves with truth, righteousness, peace, faith and salvation. And let us know and wield the word so that we can stand firm against the attacks of the devil and persevere until that final day. Once again, uh, John Calvin comments, There will be no danger which may not be successfully met by the power of God, nor will any who, with the armour of God, fight against Satan, fail in the day of battle. Daily we are to remember our identity in Christ, putting on his grace and casting off our rebellious and sinful impulses. In doing so, we are guaranteed success in our spiritual conflicts and are assured of a hero's welcome when we come into glory. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for your word. I thank you that because of scripture, we are able to experience and know who you are. And that today we've had the opportunity to look into your word a bit deeper and learn more of you. Lord, I pray that as we go on throughout the day and the remainder of the weekend, that we'll be constantly reminded of how we are to live as your people and how it is we are to fight back against sin and its power in our lives and our world. Lord, I pray that you will bless our fellowship and our conversations as we seek to build up each other and to glorify you. I pray you'll be with us and guide us throughout the remainder of our day and our week. Amen.